1: You're listening to MPB's Season Pass. I'm Liz Gill with Jay White, and I'm going to let y'all in on a little secret. Today's show is not what we had planned. Um, I had the idea of interviewing Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame member Lake Speed. And Jay and I were going to do a nice little 10 to 15-minute interview, then move on to the next guest. And since Mr. Speed lives in North Carolina now, we called him on the phone the other day to record the interview. 50 minutes later, five zero, we were done. It was that good. He is that good of a storyteller. So I decided rather than cut out a bunch of the interview, we'd air it all in one show. So uh, you don't have to be a big race car fan to enjoy this program. It's just good storytelling.
2: Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thank you so much for listening on this Thursday morning. With us now, a Mississippi Sports Hall of Famer, six-time U.S. Karting National Champion, and a 1978 Karting World Championship at Le Mans before uh, beginning his NASCAR driving career. We welcome to the show Lake Speed, a uh, Jackson native. Is that correct? That's correct. and raised right there in good old Jackson. All right. Well, we, we appreciate your time. Thank you for coming in this morning. My pleasure. Glad to. Uh, you started racing when you were 13 years old. Tell us about uh, how how you broke in at the time. And I, I know I've read a lot of stories about how uh, guys that we heard a lot of, you know, later on in, in, in the following decades uh, broke in very, very early at a young age. Tell us about you know, being in motorsports in the 60s and 70s. Well, let
3: me tell you, I started out on a horse. We fooled around with horses from the time I was three years old, finally got this big old bad news quarter horse, and he pitched me one day and broke, broke both leg both bones in one of my legs. Mm. And I said, You know, I'm tired of messing with something with a brain in it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that Christmas, a kid that uh, lived in a neighborhood came roaring down the street on Sunday, on Christmas morning, making all this racket. I'm out there, and this guy had a go kart, a racing go kart. And I said, Hmm, that looks pretty good. I think I, I like this idea of having something with a motor on it instead of brains yeah. and uh, so I talked with my parents into getting me a yard cart and I went out and tore up all the yard real bad <laughs> and they decided they didn't want me in the yard anymore so talked them into getting me my first racing cart Dad took me to my first race in Hattiesburg, Mississippi and that's the only one he ever saw and uh, from then on, my brother would, Joe would take me around from place to place until I got my driver's license. Then I'd drive myself to wherever. So that was the beginning of it was with a go-kart.
2: So let me ask you, they say, you know, this person is born to do this, this person is born to do that. The first time you get behind a wheel, at that young age, do you, I mean, does something spark inside of you and you're like, oh, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life?
3: I didn't know that I'd be doing it the rest of my life. I knew I did like it, and I like really liked the idea that I could just park that thing in the garage, and it'd still be there, ready to go, right where it, where I left it when I got back. And I didn't have to feed it or poop it or you know clean stalls or any of that stuff. Right. So it it was it was a great thing for me. But I, I am one of those people that believe God wires people for His purpose for them. Yeah. I had no clue what He had in mind for me when when the carting thing started, but. You know, I I started out as a kid just as a hobby, and the hobby, like I said, Dad took me the first race. He thought racing was foolishness and uh, really never supported me in doing that at all. Uh, My mother never saw me race a go-kart. Wow. (laughs) You know, I I raced karts for 20 years and ultimately won the world championships of karting. Still today, I'm the only non-European that's ever won the karting world championships.
2: So tell me how how did you rise through the ranks from you know riding your go kart around in the yard and then uh, you know uh, having your pop take you to a race in Hattiesburg to conquering the United States to then going across the lake and we're talking about in the seventies.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a again, it's a God thing. When I look back at it, I just pinch myself and say, you know, how in the world a kid from Jackson, Mississippi, <laughs> wind up in the top echelon of, of motorsports in the world and. You you know, you look back and you see where obviously it gave me skills and abilities. Uh, if you ever watch that little Big Shots TV show, you see these kids that have remarkable skills yeah. that without any teaching or education or whatever. Just God just wires them for it. And I, I think that was it with me. I just I started just taking that old yard cart. I just for I don't know why I just decided I don't want to take the motor apart. You know, I'm taking it apart and see if I can put it back together, it would still run. And it did. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was the beginning of it. And then when we got the racing carts, I said, well, I need to try to figure out how to make this motor go faster. And so you just start doing stuff, and it was just it just things that just came to me naturally. Yeah. But uh, then I started a little little uh, shop in the in the garage to support my racing, and it grew into the largest mail order cart shop in the country. And you know, over a period of years, it took for that to happen to go from the garage to a, a big shop. But we shipped and we imported and exported cart stuff, all of the motors. Anything, anything it took for a carton, we we sold it. And and then when I won the world championships, it was like, okay, won everything there is to win here. Now what are you going to do with yourself? And to be honest with you, when you're in a hobby sport, yeah. Hobbyists are the hardest people to deal with because <laughs> they want what they want and they want it right now or yesterday. You know, it's, it's just very demanding. And I was kind of burned out from the business side of it. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, it was a traumatic time of my year, of my life. And my wife and I uh, divorced that same year I won the world championships. And I really just wanted a change of everything. I just wanted everything changed. And I decided I'd need a, a goal that I'd probably probably could never reach. When I was in Europe, I raced against a bunch of guys over there, probably six or eight folks that went straight from carts into Formula One in a period of less than two years. And I said, you know, if these guys, I beat them over there. <laughs> if, well, I ought to be able to do something in professional racing here in the States. I don't want to, be, Europe was a great place to visit, but I don't want to live there. I started looking around at all kind of open wheel racing. And one day I get a call from a total stranger from I never met, know anything about. And he said, I understand you're looking at going into professional racing. You need to look at this NASCAR thing. Because I was headed towards open-wheel racing. I was thinking yeah. Indy car racing or something like that. And I said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go look at it. You know, I just I don't know anything about it. And really, it looks boring to go around, around and around a circle. I was used to road racing. And uh, so, anyway, long story short, they brought me to Charlotte, North Carolina. Had a retired driver pick me up at the airport and bring me out to. The Charlotte Motor Speedway and show me around that facility and it was very impressive at that time and then carry me to a race that weekend and introduce me around to some of the other drivers and people and just just everybody you know just see the whole show and at that time motorsports was struggling big time motorsports was struggling for sponsorship for attendance and every form that I'd looked at looked like yeah maybe they'll be around next year maybe they won't be <laughs> and so I'd go to a NASCAR event it looks like it's the 4th of July going off. It's a, it's unbelievable amount of press and uh, the fans. It was just huge. Just everything about it was 10 times what all the other motorsports that I'd looked at looked like. And I said, well, I don't know about this. I mean, this looks great, but I'm still worried about this going around the circle thing. So the guy, the retired driver, said, well, let me see if I can't get a out a deal here where we can get you a test drive. He said, I think you're going to find this. A little is not going to be boring at all, and uh, so sure enough, they did. And, and they got me in a car a couple of weeks later. And I went down to a track in Rockingham, which is if you're going to pick a track, that'd be the worst
4: track, <laughs> ever it's
3: like an ice skating rink. But uh, they took me, and I got out there, and I got in this guy's car. And he, he showed me around a little bit, you know. He, I, I crawled in the right side, no seat, hold on the roll bars. I said, All right, I'm, I don't want to go in this thing without at least giving some idea what it feels like. So he takes me out there and makes a few laps and comes back and says, alright, so, right, let me go. So I jump in there. Long story short, I crash this car tear it all to pieces. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had gone pretty fast the first time I went out. And he said, oh man, you're doing great. I said, I ain't not even tried hard yet. You wait. I go back out there. So I go back out and make a fool out of myself. And uh tear the car up and uh, I said, you know, this is harder than I thought it was. So the road race tracks don't have these concrete walls that you have to run about six inches away from yeah. all the time, you know, at 180 miles an hour, whatever it was. And uh, I said, "Told hmm. the ex-driver, said, you know, I don't think I'm ready to give up. Let's, I want to give this a try." And uh, so I proceeded to sell my go-kart business, liquidate it, and take all the money I got from it, and bought an old used stock car. I mean, to tell you that I didn't know anything about it is is really putting it miles, because <laughs> I wound up buying a stock. Car from a guy in Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> you know, he was as far away from the stock car racing as you could get, practically back then. So we get this old war out car and, and take it to the racetrack. And uh, first time we go, uh, we can't make the race. Didn't get fat, didn't run fast enough to make the race. Well, my retired driver he knew Harry Hyde pretty good, and Harry was a legend in the sport and whatever. And it turns out he had built this car for this guy originally, and uh, Harry agreed to. Take take it and go back through it and get it all straightened up and freshen up the motor and whatever. And uh, off we went to Daytona uh, to run the ARCA race that runs a weekend before the Daytona 500. Yeah. And we get down there and again, I, I was born with no fear when it comes to going fast. And i jump out there in a car and run 200 miles an hour. Never been in a it was only the second race really for me, second or third race. Actually the second race I ever ran in a stock car. And I find myself leading the race. At the end of the race, I've got everybody a lap down except their national champion, their points leader. There's a big crash at the end of the race right the last few laps, and we're cruising around on the uh, track under caution. And I take the white, yellow and white flag under caution, leading the race. I come back around to the – they already sent my pit crew to Victor Circle. I mean, you can't lose the race if you're you're, uh, leading the race it's under yellow and you've already taken white flag I to do this drive back to this flag right well Kyle Petty had won his very first race the year before it was his first race and he came down there and won the Daytona race I think that had something to do with the fact that when I got to the entrance to Pitt Road I looked up and I saw a green and checkered flag being waved (laughs) and it was a drag race to the start finish line but I had flat tires from running over some of the debris the, on, from the wrecks. So the other guy beat me. So I didn't win the race. But that was my what? first official stock car race. You know, big deal at Daytona. So that was my introduction. I said, well, this is not going to be easy. Right. <laughs> I think I found my challenge that I was looking for.
1: When we come back from the break, we'll hear about Lake Speed's time with NASCAR and what happened afterwards. You're listening to MPB's Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. If you enjoyed this interview, we invite you to go to our website, mpbonline.org slash season pass to hear more interviews with Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame members. listening to mpb's season pass i'm liz gill with jay white we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast when you go to mpbonline.org slash season pass there's a purple button that says subscribe if you click it it'll get you started to having season pass at your fingertips whenever you like we're continuing with an interview with a mississippi sports hall of fame member lake speed we've just heard about his cart racing beginning and now he talks about moving into the world of NASCAR.
2: How close did you, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, with you know, being in Europe, you mentioned the idea of, uh, you know, a lot of your contemporaries winding up in, in F1 yeah. and then there being the, the IndyCar circuit in North America. How close did you come to getting a, to getting a ride in, in an open-wheel circuit?
3: Well, they had a division that was right underneath the IndyCars at that time. And I had a contract from a team in my hand when I got that phone call to go to Charlotte. Wow! how close it was. I was fixing to sign a contract and turn it in and go that
2: route. So when you and went to... A, back
3: story, a little backstory you might like here and the people like see. Turns out this guy that called me was the editor of Car and Driver magazine. <laughs> All right? It gets even better. He went to school in Jackson, Mississippi. How about that? And had dated my big sister.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't
3: know any about any of that stuff. Stuff till later. I found this all out afterwards, but this is a small world.
2: It really is.
3: And when God wants to do something, He can pull some real funny strings.
2: He really can. He really can.
3: It was amazing.
2: Let me ask you about Here. being a a cart world champion, and then coming into the 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 NASCAR circuit. Mm-hmm. How did did the did the boys, so to speak, did they welcome you in, or I mean, did they was there an, an initiation process, or did you know were the boys like? Oh, here's no oh, here's the big go kart champ. Uh, you know, did they did they kind of did they you know rouse you a little bit, or did you you know did did it kind of seamlessly work in for you?
3: Well, let me tell you. Uh, after the wreck and the testing <laughs> deal, <laughs> then we went to another race in at Atlanta at the end. Of, this is all in '79, right the end of '79. Next race I went to was Atlanta, and I practiced pretty good again practiced good, and when I was watching qualifying, I was stepping up the top of the hauler, and then qualifying had started, and I remember I remember just like it happened yesterday. Buddy Baker was a big name at the time. He was a hot shot, you know, driver, whatever. I watched him go off into turn one, and it looked like he drove all the way down to the center of the corner between one and two before he ever let out of the throttle. <laughs> and I said, well, no wonder the sun has gone so fast. I've been No wonder I'm not running as fast as he is, because I'm An awful long time before that. I said, Boy, watch this. When I qualify, I'm not. I didn't think the fact that I was three quarters of a mile from that corner that it takes a while for the sound to travel. Uh oh. (laughs) So I drive this car off into the corner way too far. Spin the thing out, it stands out. I don't hit anything. Luckily I don't hit anything. So I turn around and go back towards the start-finish line, do a U-turn and and take off again, <laughs> get up to speed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it this time. I didn't know again. These tires for the speedway have a tire inside of the tires called an inner liner. It's a safety shield. Yeah. Well, I'm so jazzed up and you know over top, out of my head and inexperienced. I didn't realize again. I had another tire go down. Here I try to come off turn. I go blazing into turn three and gonna come off turn four back to the start line. You know get. The green flag again. When I got to turn four, that thing jumped out from under me, and I crashed again, really hard. But I scared a whole lot of people because it it ricocheted off the outside wall and came right straight towards the inside wall where all the cars were lined up qualifying, and they thought that car of mine was going to come over on the top of them, and I did too for a minute. Goodness! Look, put this way, I made a spectacular entrance to the sport of NASCAR. <laughs> and they realized real quick, this guy is either totally crazy or he is absolutely fearless. Right. And they later found out I was just absolutely fearless. It wasn't crazy. I just drove real hard. You, uh, mentioned,
2: I, you mentioned that earlier, being fearless in a car. Really hard. That, how, how, did you ever have an accident, a wreck or anything like that, that, and, and I guess, I, I don't know, you, you hear stories or or legends about how, you know, something happens to a guy and he's never he's never been introduced to fear in a, in a in a racing car, and then all of a sudden something happens to him, and it totally changes his outlook, the way his brain works, and, and, and it kind of takes the 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 racer out of him, so to speak. Did you ever have anything that kind of happened like that that kind of readjusted?
3: Not to me, but I've watched it happen to several other drivers. Really, I think several other drivers had bad wrecks, and and uh, never were the same. Yeah. You know, never 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 ran as hard as they did before. Uh, but, For me, it was different, Um, you know, especially after 1983. 1983 is when I gave my life to the Lord, and I changed. And uh, the enemy told me that day that I went down front, that if you go down front, you'll never race again. And after I went down front, I'd been so used to listening to the enemy tell me stuff, leading me around by my nose, I wondered, well, all right, God, where are you going now? I've dedicated myself to you, you, given myself to you now. What am I going to do? What are you going to do with me? And he quietly spoke to me that you have a contract with a team, you've got a contract with a sponsor. But the difference is, instead of you racing for your old selfish self, now you can be racing for me. Well, that changed everything. That changed everything. And I had several big accidents. You, you know, it's kind of like football. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get dirty. Yeah. You're going to get hit. It's just part of it. And for me, I knew I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, what he wanted me to do. And I can Remember very well at Daytona. Later years later, I don't know if you followed racing much. You remember a year that Bobby Allison's rear bumper fell off his car <laughs> fairly early in the race at Daytona one year. It caused a big wreck. I was behind it, and the guy behind me didn't slow down and hit me, and it spun my car coming off turn four again. You're you know that's before restrictor plates, so we were running 200 miles an hour. You come off the corner, and all of a sudden I'm punted towards the inside there's a big concrete wall there. Yeah. And the car's sliding driver door first straight towards this concrete wall. And I kind of looked out the window and saw it, and I realized what was happening. And I said, well, okay, this is probably it. And I just ducked my head down, held on the steering wheel. And the impact, instead of it being to the side, was straight behind me. Well, there was, that was before it was all paved between the track and the wall. And there was a couple of service roads that crossed there. When the car cr- crossed one of those, it turned. And backed into that wall. I would not even hurt. I wasn't wow! I wasn't even bruised. But that was that was the first time I could think of where I thought I was going to die because you know, if, if I'd have hit driver doors, to, I mean, there's nothing there. <laughs>
4: I mean, right. Yeah. Nothing
3: between you and and the concrete. So it, there's no way to survive that. I, I knew that. But, all that flashes in your mind. But again, it's things like that that gave me security. Hey, wait a minute. God's asked me to do this. He's geared me for it. He's put me in this position to do something, to serve him in this arena, to be his man in this sport today. And whatever he wants to do is fine. I tell people all the time, this life we're living is not the main event. This isn't a Daytona 500. This is a qualifying event. It just determines where you're going to spend eternity. It's not eternity. I really have never been afraid. And that was always an edge, I guess. You know, if if you're Secure and where you are. What's the term I tell my kids? I'm secure in whose I am, not
2: who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it makes all the difference in the world. You mentioned Bobby Allison uh, earlier uh, with regard to that wreck. Later on in your career, um, after a tragedy uh, that uh, took Davey Allison's life, you jumped in his ride and finished out a season for him. And that was, you know, in a time that in a time where the stock cars were much less stocked than they are now. Oh, yeah. That was that was quite a ride to hop into uh, that twenty eight. Tell me it about you. T- changed my career. <laughs> and tell me about your time. Uh, you know, in in total, and and, and how you went about you getting into that time, seat. I'll tell you a little backstory on it. That's really cool. Go ahead.
3: You know, at that time, I was I you know on and off through my career. I drove started out in my own car, and then I drove for other people for quite a while, and then uh, got back in my own car again, and then ran out of sponsorship. For, back out of my car, back into my car again, After driving for kale there for a year. Uh, When uh, David got killed, we had just had a sponsorship deal for 10 races and and the the race, the 10th race had just happened when David had just been killed right before it. Robert and them had somebody else drive the car at Talladega. Well, at the Talladega race, we were sitting out there getting ready to qualify. He came up to me and asked me if I would be available to drive his car if certain things happened. And I I said, well, yeah, absolutely. Man, are you kidding me? My, I just ran out of sponsorship. This was our last race. We, I was going to be sitting at the house. And uh, he said, well, we'll probably, let you, we'll probably skip the next race because the next race is a road race. We'll probably go get a road race and expert to put in there for that race. But then you could run the next race if something hadn't happened by then. He told me straight out, he said, look, this Texaco wants a unnamed top driver, but he's got to get out of his contract. He's under a contract." Another sponsoring team. Yeah. If he can get out, then they're going to put him in the car immediately. If he can't, you would be able to probably finish out the rest of the season for us. I said it doesn't matter, maybe Robert. But just you know, whatever it'll work for you. But just want to tell you, you talk about a road race expert. You remember that I'm a world <laughs> champion road racer. And he said, "What?" And I said, "I won the world championships of karting. It's all road racing." And he said, "Hmm." This was after we'd talked initially. You know, he was on the. Phone talking to me, telling me details about what's going to happen. He said, "Let me call you back." <laughs> so, so he confers with somebody. I don't know who he confers with, but he called me back. and Said, "We're going to give you a chance at this." He said, uh, "We're going to give you a shot." So we go to go to uh, Watkins Glen and qualify faster. He said, "Faster!" They'd never qualified that good. I think I qualified like fourth. He said, "We never even qualified in the top ten at road race before." I'm the said, I'm still being real careful, Robert. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and uh,
3: so they dropped the flag and I immediately moved my way up to second and was closing in on the first place car when the transmission broke uh. well the Ford Motor Company people went crazy they said what? what this this guy's done amazing he's done amazing you know we go the next weekend in Michigan and qualify outside pole and lead a lot of the race and uh, finish I think we wind up finishing third or something like that in that race and uh, then the following weekend went to another track where we go I think bristol and qualified real good and raced real good got wrecked and then the next one was going to be gawking where i'd already won before and they were all licking their lips they couldn't wait <laughs> about that time ernie Irvin got out of his contract
4: <laughs>
3: hmm. <Yep. laughs> and, and got in that car <laughs> you know and that was the end of my my deal
1: When we come back from the break, we've got a little bit more of our interview with Jackson native Lake Speed and his time after he was a NASCAR driver and owner. I'm Liz Gill with Jay White. This is MPB Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Season Pass. I'm Liz Gill with host Jay White. For our third segment of the show, we're continuing with a a too-good-to-shorten interview with Lake Speed. He's a Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame member, winner of six U.S. Karting National Championships and the 1978 Karting World Championship at Le Mans, all before his NASCAR career. Four hundred and
2: two career starts and seventy-five top tens, sixteen top fives, and a and a and one victory. Five plus million in winnings over your career. What you know to to have changed over to this um, from a, an entirely different version of motor racing. That, the in NASCAR for a couple decades was really really good to you.
3: Oh, it was it was. You know, the part that's the most rewarding to me is that we never ever, except for those. Was three races with Robert, wherever, with a team that had proper funding. We were always running with one hand tied behind our back. In some cases, we had both hands <laughs> tied behind our back. Didn't have, you know, just didn't have any resources whatsoever at times. But, again, I give God all the credit for it because I was the top team's worst nightmare most of the time because here's this guy that doesn't have any resources, doesn't have any uh, big pit crew or longevity or big engine shot behind them or big anything behind them. And race in, race out, we could race with the top guys. You know, sometimes yeah. we'd be outrunning them and, you, you know, you have pit stops and you go in leading and you come out running can't <laughs> <tent>, you know. <laughs> but if that happens three or four times in a row, all of a sudden you find yourself in the back of the field, you know. But uh, all in all, it was great. And, uh, you know, I, I just thank God for the opportunity to serve him in that arena. And uh, we were instrumental in getting motor Racing Outreach started in 1988, and uh, that's probably my biggest claim to fame out of the whole thing, you know, was uh, getting that ministry started.
2: Tell me about that.
3: Well, like I said, I got saved in 83, and uh, we had a guy, a so fellow that was coming as a chaplain. He'd come give about a five or ten minute talk each Sunday before the races, and uh, that was about all there was to it. In the meantime, after I got saved, I just continued to grow more and more as sort of going to church and reading the Bible and, of course, the only church I could do is on Wednesday nights because we'd be out of town on the weekends. But myself and uh, me and my wife and Daryl and his wife and Bobby Hillen and his wife all were committed. You know, a church is not a building, it's a people. Mm-hmm. And I said, we really want a church at the at the racetrack. That's what we want. God brought a fellow from California that he put that on this man's heart. He left. He was an associate pastor of a pretty large church in southern California. Brought his wife and five kids and said God told him to come minister to the NASCAR group. Wow. And sure
2: enough. I bet he got some looks.
3: 1988 was our first get-together meeting and had a, a service at the racetrack track. NASCAR gave us uh, time right after the driver's meeting. You got a two-hour driver's meeting, usually two hours before the race would start. And so as soon as the driver's meeting was over, uh, we just turned it into a chapel service afterwards. And uh, that's where it still goes today.
2: Was there a time that the, the I know somehow or another, and I, I, for where Mississippi is located, I don't know how this is a thing, but it seemed like Mississippi completely was left out or either missed the boat, which I've heard some stories, but it looked like Mississippi missed the boat on the stock car boom in the 80s and 90s was there a time where you remember you know folks saying you know what could we expand down here I know there was a track outside of Jackson in the Clinton area that was considered for a while and it didn't work out for one reason or another but was was there ever a time where you remember you know people you know maybe seeking you out for you know an idea about you know what they could do with Mississippi
3: Oh yeah there's always fans that were asking stuff like that but you know the reality of it is, is NASCAR star- started off as a small-time sport in the southeast on dirt track, and then they built Darlington was the first asphalt track they ever built in Darlington, South Carolina. They were racing real stock cars. The cars were stock, and they'd take them and beat them up a little bit and tape up the windows, and then they started tricking them up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. As, as years went along, they became less and less stock when they were going along. <laughs> but the sport, as, as it turned out, started out as to be a bunch of guys having good time and over time it took off. I I liken it to it began like it was a a crop duster and by the time I left the sport it was a missile. Yeah. You know or 747 if you want to call it. You can't land a 747 at Clinton Speedway. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's happened. I mean a lot of fans don't understand well why? We used to love Wilkesboro and we used to love a lot of these other small tracks that we don't go to anymore. Yeah. Well, th- most of the cases, the track, it wasn't that the track itself was too small, because we can race on small tracks. But if there's nothing but a two-lane highway, and you're trying to bring 100,000 people into some place in a three-hour period, it's not possible. Yeah. There were tra- tracks that we went to right before we started doing the motorhome thing, and the reason most of the drivers started doing motorhomes was I was stuck in a traffic jam 12 miles from the racetrack at Michigan one year. It was just stopped. Myself and about my three other drivers were hung out back there. And we had to hit the grass, the median to go. And boy, I'm saying fans were <laughs> they were raising cane. They didn't care who we were. They didn't want us passing.
4: Them right.
3: And stuff. But you don't, when you have those kind of experiences you realize that if there's not the infrastructure yeah. for all these people uh, you can't do it. So the small tracks got bypassed in most places because a allowed up highways
2: and hotels. You mentioned driving on small tracks earlier, uh, and well, you mentioned it then. And earlier, you talked about Bristol. I've, I've always wanted to talk to a bona fide NASCAR driver about driving on that track. I mean, it seems like—I mean, it looks like a—it it looks like the size. And I know TV, you know, scrunches everything up, but oh. on television, man, it looks like a track around a high school football field. And that's how small it looks. It looks like you are constantly pulling left on your steering. Wheel for three and a half hours.
3: Well you're not though. i will tell you what it's like. And this is every one of everybody that's ever been to the fair has experienced. It. It's a roller coaster ride. It doesn't have the big high up things, yeah. but it's a roller coaster ride. You go down the front straightaway at Bristol, it's downhill a little bit, and then the, the corner sort of dips and turns at the same time, just like a roller coaster ride. And you go through that banking and then on the back side of it, just like a roller coaster, it all of a sudden it sort of whips and straightens out so it doesn't go completely flat on the back straight away it, stay, it stays a little bit of angle but you know you were at a really steep angle right in the middle of the corner yeah. and it, it, it whips back down straight and you see guys wreck there a lot because when, it, when the pavement kind of goes out from under them a lot of times the cars will lose traction right there at that point you have to learn to anticipate it and sort of lead with the steering wheel so that you know it's going to go that way you don't try to stop it from going you just have to anticipate it and yeah. And use it so you don't run out of track. And then there's a wall. And at the other end down there, again, it's just—it's even steeper. The third and fourth turns even steeper than the first and second turn is. And then coming off of four, it just whips down flat, dead flat.
4: (laughs) <laughs>
3: Back down the front straightaway. It's the coolest. It's one of the coolest tracks to run on, just for that. And you get around this thing. All this happens in 15
2: seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's it's it's. <laughs> well, you got my producer Liz with that one right there. That the description of the whole thing took about five I times longer.
3: This, I think this past year they got it where I think some of them when they qualified, I think they ran it under 15 seconds. I think they went a 14 second record. Yeah. It's crazy. Run 140, 50 miles an hour on a dang little half-mile track.
2: Let me ask you about, uh, did you ever get a chance to run Indianapolis?
3: Yes, I did. I went there and tested with Robert. when Before we ever raced there, they had an open test day, and all that happened the same time that, during that three-race stretch for him. Wow. I know I tested twice. I tested there with them, and then we tested for Darlington, and then I didn't get to run the race. I tested the week before Darlington, and uh, Ernie got out of his contract.
2: <laughs> you got to you. Got got to drive Indy in Yates car, huh?
3: I was yeah, no, I didn't know. Didn't get to race it. That was just the test.
2: Right, but you got you got to you got to run the course though, is what I'm saying.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, we did the test up there uh, for them. That was pretty cool seeing all the technology they had. Uh, they had technology that I don't think anybody else had.
2: <laughs> what was it like driving uh Indy? It's it's like a it's almost like a rectangle. It's like driving a block. Very different from yeah. Bristol.
3: <laughs> it's crazy. The first time you go down this front straightaway, it looks like you're going into a blind cam- It's the only track I've ever been to that, well, i would say it's not the only one, too. California Speedway Mm -hmm. has some sweeps on the inside of the track, but they're way away from the track. Where at Indy, there's bleachers right up close to the track on the inside of the track. When you come off turn four and you look down through there, you see bleachers on both sides. It looks like (laughs) you're just going to run down there running a wall or running into bleachers. And it's not until you get right up pretty darn close to the corner that you see the corner going on around. So, you're running 200 miles an hour and it looks like there's no place to go the first time. But, you know, that was the weirdest thing about it. And it's, you know, it's flat, but we've got some other corners that uh, tracks, at, like at uh, Pocono, is, the corners are pretty flat, too. So, it's, it wasn't that different other than long sweeping corners, flat, long sweeping corners. Real hard to get the cars to drive good back then. We didn't have the technology they had now to, yeah. to get the aero help. But it was a cool place. I'd I really liked it. We wound up, I took. A, I figured out some ways, some tricks on the driving part there that after the first year I struggled bad, but then after that, yeah. we ran pretty good each time we were there.
2: Well, are you still, I mean, I know you're still connected to the sport in some way or another. I mean, you told me basically from the beginning that you were a gearhead before you'd even got out of your garage. Oh, yeah. So how, how are you still connected to the sport these days?
3: Well, through the NASCAR thing, the only real connection I have is through the ministry. I'm still on the board of directors for the motor racing outreach. But then, uh, I guess after you get so old, NASCAR asks you to be on their uh, board that oversees when they give fines and stuff. And If somebody wants to uh, argue about uh, whether they broke the rules or not, uh-huh. I'm one of the judges that they'll call in there to do the little court case thing
2: there. You, you, know? you talk to Jimmy Johnson's people a lot? Is that what you're saying?
3: Well, I, they have a lot of us, so I don't get to do every one of them. I usually Get one a year, as as the way it's gone the last couple of years. I've done one, you see one, maybe two at the most. I think
2: very interesting, like driver's court. I'm generally,
3: the I'm generally the uh, there's probably a reason I don't get more of <laughs> it. Generally, in, in more favor with the teams than I am with NASCAR <laughs> on some of that
2: stuff. That is funny. I
3: don't go along with some of the some of the stuff they call fines. With
2: what do you think about the sport these days? You know, compared to I mean, much less. You know, when you broke in to the circuit in the Late 1970s, but uh, I mean, even when you left in the, in the late 90s, tell me what you think about the sport now and uh, the, the the cars they're running, the places they're going, the, the the tracks that have been built in these humongous cities, and it's you know it's turned NASCAR into a a prime time television sport.
3: Oh yeah, it is. The, I see people all the time. You know, they're losing losing attendance at the track. They have been for a while now. I think the sport, as far as the product, the racing on the track, is far superior to anything it's ever been before. Wow. And that, that shocks a lot of people. So a lot of the folks that used to follow it say, oh, the race is no good, no good for whatever. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, hold on. you got 30 cars at all, nobody knows who's going to win. The, it's the closest it's ever been. Never been this close. At the end of a race, it's not uncommon to have 20 30 cars in the lead lap. When prime time, when uh, Daryl and Dale and whoever else, Bill Evans, them or winning the winning races, they might be lucky to have five cars on the lead lap at the end of the race. Yeah. The competition is amazing today. All right. The big difference, the big difference is back then you knew more than you should have known about any one of the drivers, really. They they were very transparent. You knew what their hobbies were. You knew about their families. You knew where they lived. You probably knew what their house looked like inside and out. Just You just knew an awful lot about them. And you could identify with, with a driver, and you, can, there would be a connection there, even if you'd never met him. Odds are, though, if you went to a local grocery store or any place where they're having a race, you could probably meet them and shake hands and talk to them. Yeah. So there was a huge connection back then, and that's gone. And I think that is why their attendance and uh, support is is gone downhill. Interesting. That was the thing that separated them from any other major league sport.
2: Accessibility. Accessibility. And relatability, yeah.
3: And relatability and relationships. We had we had fan clubs that people would drive three states to come in for a fan club meet. Usually have it once a year, yeah. but it was most all the teams had it like Charlotte weekend for the six hundred weekend, or actually it was two weekends back to back. So they would have fan club open open houses, you know, for the people to come in, meet the driver, talk to them, meet the crew members, whatever. It was just connected. People connected, and they because of that, they'd go out and support the sponsors that were supporting their favorite driver. Big connection that hooked together, and all that got broken up. Third generation of ownership and management wasn't paying close attention to what the first two generations
4: were doing.
1: We're about to take our last break of the show. When we come back, we'll have about 60 seconds left of our interview with Lake Speed and his induction into the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. You're listening to MPB's Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB's Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. I'm producer Liz Gill with host Jay White, and there is just a tiny bit left of our interview that we conducted with Mississippi native Lake Speed that we'd like to play for you.
2: Last thing, let me ask you. Uh, you are a, a, a Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame member. What was that like uh, to be to be recognized by your home state in their Sports Hall of Fame? Shocked.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Totally shot. Uh, I didn't think that I didn't think stuff like that was for anything but stick and ball guys, you know. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Now we've got Ricky Stenhouse it's, it's, you know, from North Mississippi that's running good. They yeah. uh, he just happened to catch Roush racing when uh, they're not up to speed like they were for the last twenty years before this. So I'm just hopeful that they will get their act together better and Ricky will have a chance. He looks like he's a heck of a great good race car driver. I uh, made him a few times you seemed been a nice young man
2: yeah yeah. Lake Speed thank you so much for your time uh, this oh, morning thanks well yeah thanks for talking to us and it's great to hear the stories behind uh, the guy that so many of us here in Mississippi watched on Sunday afternoons for all these years yeah
3: just reminding my name really is Lake and <laughs> the last name is really Speed <laughs> dad was one of seven Speed boys there's <laughs> a lot of them in Covington County Mississippi
2: that's right that's right the best racing name ever thank you so much for your time again we really do appreciate it thank y'all so much much. much. Y'all have a great day.
1: Thanks for tuning in to MPB Season Pass today. We hope you enjoyed this uh, marathon interview with Mississippi Sports Hall of Famer Lake Speed. Um, You know, when we started the interview, we had no idea uh the storytelling we were going to get from it and the the variety of the sportsmanship uh, the boy from Mississippi faith uh, just how it all was going to come out so I didn't want to cut any of it out so we left the whole thing that you can listen to and if you missed any of this interview it's so good uh, you can listen to the whole thing at mpbonline.org slash season pass or you can download it or subscribe to season Season Pass as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm Liz Gill, and for our host, Jay White, this is MPB Think Radio. If you've enjoyed this interview, we invite you to go to our website, mpbonline.org slash seasonpass to hear more interviews with Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame members.